Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with my longtime friend, Slade Baird, about Frank Black's 1996 album, Coulter Ray. What makes this album interesting is that it isn't an album most people would reach for when it comes to Frank Black. So that's honestly what interested me. The Pixies are always going to be what most people grab for when it comes to Frank Black, but this album made me way more curious about digging into his solo back catalog, which I'm not super familiar with. Things like Frank Black and the Cadillacs, Black Francis, and so on and so forth. Slade plays in the Charlotte Roots Rock Americana band Amigo, which is simply great rock and roll. They last released And Friends in 2018. Give you a little secret. Recently, they were featured as a band in an upcoming HBO series. Don't want to give away more than that, but I'm super excited for them. Okay, so check out our Twitter and Instagram that's spinning out pod. Also, check out our Patreon that's patreon.com slash spinning out pod. Just a few dollars a month and every little bit helps with costs associated with hosting and, you know, everything else. So please rate, review, and subscribe, and leave a comment. Just simply tell a friend. All of it really helps. Okay, let's chat with my good buddy, Slade. Yeah, it's so it's really tough getting rid of just junk in my house. And then, yeah, it's just, it never ends. Like, I don't know. It's almost like I just have to pick. Like, it's like if I'm going to hoard something, it's got to just be one thing. So I've gotten rid of like pretty much all of my VHS tapes and basically evicted all of my DVDs to like one big CD booklet. And then I never mm-hmm. opened that CD booklet. <laughs> like, right. So it was like, right. I could have just gotten rid of them too. Um, but we today are not talking about all of the junk that we have. <laughs> um, so we are talking about Frank Black's 1996 album, Colt Ray. Um, so Slade, when was the first time you heard this record? Or maybe the first time you heard, we'll start with the Pixies. Which was first? Well, the Pixies were definitely first. Um, I, I, I think I was introduced to them via a friend made a mixtape for me um, when I was probably in junior high. I was probably in about eighth grade, and I had a friend that was in high school, and he was into cooler music, and me and my friends were starting to get curious about stuff that was a little under the radar. And so um, my friend Dane started making me some um, some mixes of stuff that he was listening to that he had like heard from some like older friends of his had like let him borrow tapes and stuff. So I'm pretty sure it was the um, wave of mutilation UK surf version from the um, what was the the Christian Slater movie. Oh, pump uh, up the volume. Pirate radio. Pump up the volume. Yeah. So uh, that was like the first song on this you know it was like all handwritten like these are these bands and it was like um it was like a pixie song 
um, Dead Kennedys. Mm-hmm. It was like my introduction to the Dead Kennedys. Um, there was some ministry on the B side mm-hmm. and like Skinny Puppy, like just all the weird shit that was probably like made like within about a five year period of like, you know, when this mixtape was made. And the first song on it was Pixie's Wave of Mutilation. And I was like instantly all in. I was yeah. like, this is the most mysterious shit that I've ever heard. The song's gorgeous. And, um, you know, his voice is, is great. And the playing is great. And it's like just sort of like this beautiful, romantic sounding song with weird, incomprehensible lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. I always have like a complicated relationship with any of Frank Black's music because there are songs like wave of mutilation and then there's like i don't know there's always like just one pixie song that's like the best song ever and personally there's like another pixie song that's like the worst thing ever to me on the same (laughs) album probably right back to yeah and that's really his whole career to me i i 100 agree and and yeah there are like records of his and of the pixies that are like my favorite records in the universe and there's always several songs Mm -hmm. you know like maybe a third of my favorite record would be (laughs) like stuff that i just don't like and i still tend to kind of listen to it and in different phases of my life will come back to Mm -hmm. it and be like this is actually really cool because he's got so many little um nuances to his lyrics that like they could sound they could get on your nerves yeah like certain certain songs like get under like under my skin and and kind of like like bug me and then i'll start looking into the lyrics and it's like wow that's really dark that's about like death yeah (laughs) like that's heavy and um and i can't think of what song it is but there's one like in particular that like i always hated this song um and uh, on, a, on a Pixies Pixies record, um, Mr. Greed's totally got on my nerves. And um, it was this year I was listening to it because my um, my CDs are all in storage mm-hmm. since since we've had a baby. Yeah, um, we've kind of um, so it, I'm limited to like just my record collection. And I was listening to um, to Doolittle, and you know I, I didn't have the the ability to just like skip. And, um, and so, yeah, Mr. Greaves, I'm like, this song is like, because the thing that bothered me is, is the words and it's, um, do you have another opinion? Mm-hmm. And it sounds kind of awkward the way he says it. Do you have another opinion? And, um, he still sounds cool saying yeah. it. It's just like, like for some reason, like the way the wording works, like, like really like, you know, just always like I hated it. And um, so anyway, like I finally like just pulled up the lyrics on my phone and and um, it's it's like maybe it's perhaps <laughs> about um, about dying. And um, and and so like the um, the lyrics are like, you know, have like a potential profound quality to them. Um, and uh that I, I wouldn't have realized before if I hadn't been like, what the fuck is he saying? Yeah. Like, do you have another opinion? Uh, but it's, do you have another opinion? Um, and uh, I, I guess the way it occurred to me, or maybe I had looked up like some 
um, interpretations of the lyrics, but um, but it, it sounds like maybe it's like um, like a song about you know life and death issues like mixed up with some like mythology and yeah and then it's mysterious like who is who is mr greaves he believes in him yeah definitely (laughs) around this time just kind of like i guess zooming out a little bit there was really i guess we'll say we'll start with like time the pixies were around really up into this record there was more of an inclination to have a few like we'll call them like joke songs but i feel like they were like Mm -hmm well, we know these are good. This is more of like a swing. Like, and it feels Mm -hmm. like the kind of inverse of it. So I'm kind of contradicting myself is like records nowadays don't seem to like swing for it as much. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. not willing to take the risk. So it's like, everything's like, if you're kind of writing in this, in one direction, it's like everything else will be in that direction because that's a safe bet, you know? Mm -hmm. So you won't get a song about, you know, a spider that is human size that kills you or just like something, you know, where you're like, you know, just like some random shit that, you know, artists like this would, you know, you'd saw it a lot in like punk and then like all kind of stuff around this time. Um, mm-hmm. up until, I mean, this is 1996. Uh, there's a lot of tracks that kind of have that, that thing on this specific record. Um, so I guess going in to this record, like when it, even like track two, it's like, Men in Black, which is funny because what what year did the movie Men in Black came come out? I think it was ninety six or ninety seven. It was around then. So yeah, yeah so it makes and me in my head this song was on the soundtrack, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it just had a video for it. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's it's like I know he didn't write it for Men in Black because he's been talking about UFOs like his whole career. So it was yeah. like just. It seems like it was just a happy accident, you know. But it's like, yeah, they should have put this on the soundtrack, like, just like, oh, well, this song's already about that. So, uh huh. And this song rules. It's so obviously the single, you know, it's like, like when after because it opens with that, like kind of meandering, like song with the feedback and stuff. And then like, bam, like men in black, you're like, like, holy shit, this is a fucking rocker. Yeah. Yeah, I. I think what's when that song came on though, um, after a few, probably about the second listen, um, the first listen, I was like, what is this record going to be? Like, what, what did you tell me to listen to? You know, um, <laughs> like, and it's not, it's not that wild. Cause I mean, I'm familiar with like his whole discography, but mm. you know, kind of tangent off of that. There was a time frame where I couldn't figure out who sang that song los angeles because i couldn't really think of like the whole song enough to just and i just it was just like the rhythm of it in my head and i was like what fucking song Mm. is this song is so goddamn annoying and uh then i finally figured (laughs) it out Uh, um and then i was like wait that's frank black like what the fuck like i I don't know how you feel about like that song los angeles i remember the first time i heard it being like ah i hope the whole record's not like this and it's not (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's one of i think it's one of those swings and a swing i guess for him like that that was a big song for him at that yeah that time um but it's (laughs) it annoys the shit out of me to this day like see i i grew to love it it was it was one of those that like you know i just knew like that's the album opener so like to get to these other ones this is what we're going through. And I just, I, uh, you know, like, like now, you know, I, I 
love it along with you know my my favorites of okay i won't say it's a favorite favorite mm-hmm. but like it's it's heavy it's like it's a heavy like hitter like alt rock 90s style um it just it has some some things that maybe i've just like heard it so many times in my life that i'm just like that's a song <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it it he really seems like for his whole career like he has like an antagonistic relationship with his audience you know it's just mm-hmm. like if you can if you can get past this track and you still like me, then you're a true fan. And in that, I yeah. appreciate it because it's like as a as being in bands, it's like like we constantly feel like when we play music, like we should always play the new thing. But we know that that's not really what people want you to do. Like you should kind of play mm-hmm. songs that people know. But it's like from reading books like Our Band Could Be Your Life, like Who's Could Do was always just playing like essentially their next record or the record the even next after thing. that. Yeah. And so they were like, didn't give a shit. And like Black Flag was the same way. So it's always been mm-hmm. my approach. So I appreciate the idea of like not giving people what they want, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of being, I guess, you know, like being hurt for it. Or I'm not saying it right, but, uh, but when you're on the other end, like Los Angeles or the way this album starts, uh, you know, with the Marsis, I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and that kind of like extreme, like that flange kind of effect. That's just like, oh, you know, it. this record feels like really and it's like I, I want to get like all the negative things out before because this was almost yeah. I'm trying to think of like my first listen through and it was like this mm. oddly enough feels cheap and in some ways feels like almost like a local band's version of Frank Black yeah <laughs> you know a local band yeah. you can take that as you will it's like it's it's and then there's reasons for that I think that the record explains but that's kind of what I'll throw out there I will absolutely. So um, to me, he was going back to basics Mm -hmm. and being the local band with this record. Like, I feel like it's a, it's a theme that runs through it. Like kind of like, let's make a record. And like, he's got a song called punk rock city. And um, there's uh, another song about um, when he's like on his skateboard and when he's playing guitar mm-hmm. and it's got these cheesy little things that are sort of like romanticizing his um, his connection to like his his hometown as a teenager, maybe um, and like starting his first band and like, hey, we got some songs. Let's make a record, you know? Yeah. Um, after like this this record came out uh, like a year or so after his double album um, that uh, that was, I mean, I won't say overproduced because it sounds amazing. It was yeah. produced just enough. Like Teenager of the Year is our, it's like in probably my top five records of all time. Like it's, it's a absolute masterpiece and it's sprawling. It's got to your point, those, totally weird songs that like you're just automatically can't get to the player fast enough to skip it you know um but then it's got like some of the greatest songs that i think have ever been written Mm -hmm. and then cut to a year later i'm like driving to the mall to get you know like my tape copy of of well actually 
the, my um yeah i probably had this on tape first this is from papa jack's okay. but um but uh but yeah i bought it like probably the week it came out and i was so excited about it and then i probably listened to it twice and forgot about it for years um but i, I really think that like after that like double album he was like um like shit i just want to go on tour with a band and just fucking like we're we're clearly not making it out of like the medium sized club mm -hmm. circuit like let's just fucking put a record together and go hit the road yeah and i think he did for a couple of years i think they they just toured pretty hard and played they didn't play pixie songs they played all frank black songs and then this i didn't realize it for years and years but this album really set the template for what frank black and the catholics records were going to sound like just like like songs that were written really fast that um were recorded live in the studio and that just have a bunch of guitar solos and sound like pure sort of like rock records made by weirdos yeah yeah and that's what i do when i kind of came around to it really within like the second listen that's kind of what started settling uh but i always have this feel just most of a lot of my favorite things musically sometimes i start like hating them you know? mm. it's like the first time i heard like i don't know my war by black flag it was like this sounds like shit you know and then oh. it was just like eventually like one of my favorite records you know like I, it's there's constantly that like even like with one of my favorite artists like ever Warren Zevon it's like the first time you hear it you're like what is this you know mm -hmm. so it's like with all the negative things I said it's like I feel like this record will be something that I come back to weirdly enough even with like mm -hmm. with warts and all I guess as one would say mm -hmm. like it's because because of, of those things you said like it feels live. It feels like the idea of like just not overthinking it, you know, kind of agree, just agreeing with what you said, just kind of just going in and seeing what happens, you know. And when you have like a body of work like, you know, Frank Black does, like it's interesting to kind of have those like palate cleanser albums, like because you start approaching like writing songs as if you're like, well, we'll probably make another one after this. So what's the what's the <laughs> right. harm? And I think that's neat with art and i guess you know, negatively someone could say disposable not really with this but if you approach records that way but it's like mm -hmm. it, it's complicated because it's like i don't know if you should write an album with the intention of like like everything doesn't have to be like a 10 on like if it's like reviewed by pitchfork or a nine you know it's right. like some things just need to be fun you know it's like we don't always need to think about if something's like critically good you know it's like i don't know it's like some records yeah, just need to yeah. be like a bowl of macaroni and cheese i don't i don't know i couldn't think of anything differently but yeah i i think that that he um you know it, like it's got it's got songs like men in black mm -hmm. which is just like a pop song that they did a music video for that apparently mike mills that that directed like beginners and thumb sucker oh, okay. and he's like yeah, you yeah. Know, he's made like in, indie movies um but he's uh he directed this video and i'm sure it got you know like i, I don't remember like M i grew up in the country and like we didn't really have mtv yeah <laughs> um but uh but i saw the video online and it was um it was uh 
like cool but not um but not cool at all Mm -hmm. like i don't know if you've seen it no so it's cool in the sense that here's these dudes they've got these like martial stats and they're playing like a house show like at this house Mm -hmm. and uh, and it's total 90s music video and they're just like playing and he's he's singing and um and then it cuts to him in the kitchen and the band's watching him make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then the men in black show up at his house and then they're like back to like you know playing again and jump cuts and it's a uh you know music video um like totally something you can make on the cheap Mm -hmm. but they their record label like american like totally like put thousands of dollars into this like big you know video promotional tool yeah um yeah i think that's crazy but it looks like what we're talking about the album doing like the video is like the visual embodiment of like let's go make a video We'll get our friend Mike to direct it. Around this time frame, too, I mean, it's probably a little bit after that boom, but we're still kind of in the time frame of almost everybody was kind of getting signed if you could keep your shit together, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So this is probably not really even the tail end of it, but um, it's definitely like post-grunge, I guess. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, yeah, this record ultimately doesn't feel like something that would be on American, but then I'm like, what is that? mean you know um Mm. and something that i've never really thought of is just like thinking about any of these bands as like almost the blumhouse equivalent of like what a studio it's almost like these studios didn't are these these labels didn't like have to invest probably as much as they would have like i don't know we'll say hair bands like kind of the generation before it you know but it's Mm -hmm. still so then the result was like, we're always going to make money. Like, we don't have to invest as much. And if we get a Nirvana, then, you know, it's like, so it's almost like that Blumhouse model. It's like, we'll only put like $3 million into this. But right. if we get, you know, then it's like the ceiling is, you know, it could it could be endless and we only spent this much, you know. So mm-hmm. that's where I feel like a lot of these records were. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but this apparently, and I didn't know this until just now, but um, this record was was recorded at Sound City, mm-hmm. um, in, in LA. Like it was like you know, and like, I mean, at the time, like, like I guess probably most records were recorded to, you know, like two inch tape. Yeah. But like that was the, um, that was definitely what they were going for was making a big sounding, classic sounding rock record but with a bunch of songs that sound like they were written by like Frank back black in a garage band. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that's like, that's weird. And then it's got like, there are two instrumentals. Yeah. And God knows why, you know? And then, um, and then, uh, kicked in the taco. Yeah. And, but then there's like this, like kind of beautiful song. Um, the last song on the record, which, I knew nothing about until um, I was just like doing a little research and like, turns out it's like a real story about a real person. For some reason, I never looked it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, he was, he was saying he had stuff to say, yeah. which is surprising because so much of it sounds a little bit like a throwaway. And then there's these kind of like bigger statements. Yeah. It is weird to think of a song like last stand of Shazeb on leave. And I know I mispronounced mm-hmm. that probably bad. 
but in that, in comparison to Kickton the Taco on one record, it's just right. like the Last Stand is like such an earnest song about a very serious topic, and then uh, Kicked in the Taco, <laughs> like, like, and even Kicked in the Taco, it's got that that little section that's about you got my message of love, that's like really pretty and really cool you know like it like it's like the song takes a shift um even musically it's like a totally good song Mm -hmm. um the kicked in the taco part is kind of stupid and so that turned turned me off for a long time i mean i'm only just kind of coming around to it now yeah i did Um, i feel like i always do this exercise when doing these episodes it's like what song would you cut from the album Mm. would that be the song one of the instrumentals oh, okay so yeah. i i one like got i like the instrumentals but they they are silly and they're well they're silly in terms of like why two you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but you know so but i i feel like i would keep the instrumentals and mm. not have kicked in the taco because we're looking at a record that's like <laughs> 41 minutes which isn't crazy at this standard of no. time um but still like there's probably you can almost cut those three songs, and have a really amazing record. Like yeah. then you're still I don't know because these none of these songs are really long, so it's you know you're looking at like oh still over thirty minutes, you know mm-hmm. so so yeah like if this was ten songs, kicked in the taco and then the two instrumentals taken off, um, I think I would have a much different feeling of this. Yeah. You know? this record as a whole you know yeah yeah but again like i totally that's one of the high points on the record for me is when he gets to that you got my message of love part and he does it he does that occasionally in songs where um he'll have like like if i were writing a song Mm -hmm. they would be three separate songs he'll put three songs together or he'll have sections in his songs that sound totally different, like tempo changes and like totally different melody and chord progression. Um, and they're, they're just all smashed together. Yeah. Um, there, there's one really great one on um, Pistolero um, that uh, so hard to, so, so hard to make things out. Um think that's what it's called anyway it's like one of these songs that's got like three different great songs all crammed together so he definitely like like has that ability to just sort of um like find the perfect melody Mm -hmm. for like any weird grouping of chords and i don't know how he does it um it's it's a um it's something that's like really like peculiar to him. I think as far as like bands that I like, like he's the one with the weirdest chords put together. Um, but then like the most instantly like, like perfect melodies over these weird things. It should be a, like a clash and somehow it, it like makes this perfect song. Yeah. I mean, I, one thing I guess like looking at, I think it was the, maybe the previous two records, but he had a lot of material, I think, before this point that was produced by uh, someone from Pero Ibu. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting, kind of going to the... the you know, they're not a band that's thought of, well, probably much at all. Um, but, you know, they're they're known as being, like, really noisy, kind of precursor to mm-hmm. 
I guess not noise rock per se, but I guess post-punk in a way, like early post-punk in a mm-hmm. way, you know. And so there's always that flirtation between, I guess, what we call per- post-punk now into just, you know, very melodic pop-oriented songs. Like That's always the intersection, like Pixies or all of Frank Black's work. You know, yeah, I, w- I would put him, I would put the Pixies like, like in a category with them just because, um, I feel like it was sort of like the, the, they sort of perfected taking the weirdness and adding that little bit of like commercial, like, like sheen to it almost like just because the melodies are so insistent. And, um, but there, it's, it's still weird. It's still, um, like has things to like throw you off. Um, it's not just like a straight listen. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a weirdness and a little bit of a darkness, but it's also fun. Uh, even though, even when he's like shrieking at you to repent, yeah, <laughs> it's like, there's a little bit of, it's like a horror movie. It's like, like the, the, um, like something that's like so like maybe off-putting that you look forward to that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the thing that I like about like this era and I, I feel like I kind of keep putting this record into even though it's 1996 where I keep thinking of like records that came out in like the mid to late 80s because this yeah. feels like that. This feels like something that would be on Homestead. You know, like Mm -hmm. if it were, well, what's funny is like, if this were on Homestead, like, uh, like Squirrel Bait, I'm not sure if you know who they are. They were like a pre-slant band. They were just like teenagers playing like Mm. punk hardcore songs. But a lot of that Homestead stuff, uh, was the beginnings of, you know, alt, I guess, as we call like alternative rock, you know, as we call it now. So a lot of the early like Mm -hmm. Dinosaur Jr. stuff came out there. So even the early Dinosaur Jr. records like had this like unevenness to it mm-hmm. that oh, this sure. record does that really puts it into that time frame but a lot of the stuff wouldn't really exist in the same way if it weren't for the pixies so it's it really is it's repeating myself again it is frank black going back to the basics of like what makes like what's his dna yeah you know? mm-hmm. yeah and i thought when um when I listened to this, cause the reason I, I, I like ended up um, like landing on this record lately, like so hard is because they're reissuing like all of like Frank Black and the Catholics. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of it. Um, and, uh, and so I got this, this um, LP um, on, I think it's on demon records. And um, so anyway, like I was listening to it like for the first time in like 20 years. And, um, and the first thing that hit me was like this, reminds me i mean it doesn't sound like them per se but like it reminds me a lot of dinosaur jr mm-hmm. a lot like heavy on like really melodic guitar solos um the guitars sound huge um and it just you can just imagine it live yeah and how loud it would be live and um and then also like like the um the song cult of ray it has a very dinosaur jr sound to me just like the way like the um like the you just sort of fall into the song and it just like rolls steadily ahead until it finally ends um it just has an energy that reminds me a lot of of dinosaur jr yeah 
Well, I think they're such like such strong contemporaries, but they were both like like doing the Boston scene yeah. at the same time, right? Yeah, like, that would have been. So I bet I, you know I'm not knowing anything about the two of their relationship. I have a feeling there's got to be some mutual influence there. Yeah, I mean, I guess like if you if you were kind of or rivalry maybe. Yeah, it could be rivalry. I mean, I guess like a Western Mass versus uh, Boston, and kind of knowing those two areas, it's like it's only two hours away and you know it's just the same as like charlotte versus raleigh even you know so yeah so there'd probably be a similar rivalry too like it's the western mass scene would be like the underdog and boston would be kind of the place to be so definitely like a rivalry and a conversation kind of back and forth um you know and even coming well dinosaur jr i can speak to more just like coming from like deep wound into dinosaur jr you know, it's like kind of going from hardcore into you know, melodic rock that they did. But I think what's also mm. so neat is just like the idea of it's like it sounds like Dinosaur Jr., but obviously that wasn't what their template was. So it's like mm. you're influenced by the same thing, but how you express it is going to be way different mm-hmm. is my main point with that, that I don't really have an angle that I'm going at. Yeah, so. Right. Yeah. But just like how you yeah. can look I at mean, the I same picture I... and kind of be like, oh, but I, I'm going to do it this way, you know, instead of a copycat. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, like the band, like the fact that he's got a real band on this record probably makes a big difference. Um, and like even to like some of the choices where um, like the uh, like Teenager of the Year seems way more composed and fussed over. This has parts that are a little bit on the corny side just because it's like okay we got a lead guitarist just riff man and some of the best moments on the record are that like professional lead guitarist riffing mm-hmm. and then some of the like corniest moments like in the marsist like that you know it's like it's got that affected um guitar part that's a little bit surfy um but it's also a little bit like you just kind of want to turn down the wankery just a little bit yeah, and, and, and go for something a little more minimalist. But I think that also like probably is part of the fact that they made something quickly and, um, and it wasn't as much of, um, you know, like a mad scientist, like control freak. I think he let the band a little bit like become part of the part of the, process yeah i mean in seeing that he he's credited as producing himself uh and you know there are a ton of additional engineers on this record but it's like mm-hmm. this is there this does seem like a record like after those two records that may maybe record labels had you know kind of like oh you should do this or kind of like we'll take these from a personal approach it's like sometimes you write it like i don't know 15 or so songs and then either your band or the label you know, you'll kind of fuss over it. So I'm kind of back to what you're saying and, mm. and you'll kind of edit yourself down. So like, it's sort of like whatever we come up with is what it is on this record is, you know, what it feels like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if even in a way that there was like basic ideas and they kind of fleshed out more in the studio with this. Cause it, it, mm-hmm. it feels like that. Um, yeah. 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 I think so too. Yeah. But I, I do think, Though one of the, to me, the best track on this record is You Ain't Me. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. What would you say your favorite track on the record? If you had, to I was one? actually going to ask you that question. <laughs> what your <laughs> I took favorite away your song question. was? But but the, but you ain't me is like is totally awesome. Um, it sounds like uh, you never know with him, mm-hmm. right? Like like he's so vague and so poetic most of the time um and, and um and like arcane like the stuff that he talks about isn't like you know even if like you go like like google his lyrics like half the time like nobody even has a guess yeah what he's talking about it's so obscure um so like what um that one though sounds like he's talking to somebody mm-hmm. and he's like pissed yeah <laughs> um but i don't i don't know you don't you don't know what um oh you don't know what he's talking yeah i don't know what it's about yeah 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 i mean it also feels like with the preceding tracks it's you know it's and i want to phrase it in a way that's like not so negative but it's like you kind of wade through the first three tracks and then you're kind of gonna get that clarity you know it's Mm -hmm. it's like i'll give it to you but you're gonna have to like come on this journey with me this is what it feels like he does a lot like um and that's not to say anything to the discredit of the previous two tracks you know men in black and punk rock city um but yeah it's just like you'll you'll get there and so that's but that also makes me appreciate you ain't me more because it's it's you've gone through and then you kind of get just this kind of open more broad moment and i don't think i would appreciate it as much if there were song more songs like you ain't me on the record uh-huh you know yeah it's it's a totally catchy one too it's just it's just like a straightforward like song it's rocking it's like it's got that like classic indie rock kind mm-hmm. of kind of like beat you know it's like it's this this persistent like um like you know you like you can like hum along to it yeah <laughs> and, the, and the chorus is great um and uh and so yeah it's um and and like and yes especially like right after punk rock city punk rock city like a little bit wears out its welcome musically but the lyrics are like super interesting yeah it has a good punk rock city has like a really good riff um to it you know one that you just kind of feel like if you were at a show it's just like a stomper you know yeah but yeah i mean lyrically it's but he always does that thing where it's like lyrically it's good but in a way, it's sort of like the way he wants to deliver it is also kind of a trip, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I don't yeah. even want to say, like, it's bad or anything. It's just sort of like, oh, that's what you're doing on this track. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, which he kind of yeah. does again and, in, like, Jesus Was Right. You know, it's like, you know, great song musically, but, you know, it's like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing on these, these you know. And, and that's one that definitely i mean i can just remember like my judgmental teenage self like thinking what a fucking cheesy song you know uh jesus was right (laughs) is you know i just like because it's so like maybe hard on sleeve Uh like maybe this is like a romantic ode to like his teenage years um but that like the um you know like the um I like distortion when I bar chord. Yeah. <laughs> a lonely parking lot when I ride on my board. But he repeats it so many times that it starts to like become a little bit of an anthem and um and the music's great. And so um 
So like I actually have come down on the side of this song. Like I love it now and it used to be an immediate skipper. But for me now it's one of the high high points on the record. Yeah, I mean that's that's like just the hard thing is like I would highly recommend this record and I think the warts on the record are not really warts at all. It's like the whole package itself it's like you kind of have to take it all to kind of appreciate it. Like I wouldn't want really, you know, even though I said, I, I mean, I would easily kick out, uh, put kick. Sure. I would just <laughs> kick that out of the record, kick from the taco, but it's sort of like the highs and lows make up the art that it is. It really is an album. And I think it really does have a vision, even if that vision was as simple as let's get the band together. Let's like make a record this weekend and let's go on tour for the next two years. Yeah. I think that's a totally solid like plan. Yeah. I think it's great. Like <laughs> that's great to, to the kind of nth degree of it. It's like I, every time I feel like uh, let's say like Rolling Stones, like put out a record and they're like, what in their mid seventies, like, you mm. know, or you could almost say the same thing about Pixies now. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, I understand that from playing music for so long, I understand that they do it if only for the idea that they want to give you a reason that they can continue to tour for the next couple of years. Mm. So it's like whatever that Pixies record or EP thing is indie Cindy <laughs> that they put uh-huh. out a few years ago. I'm like, well, I mean, we'll see them out there because of this, you know? So it's like, yeah. there are plenty of Pixies or Frank Black songs that one can appreciate that you don't win it live. It's like, I don't know if, if Frank Black and the Cadillacs or whatever it became, like even taking Pixies out of it, if they're touring, I'm not sure how often they even play Kicked in the Taco. Are they might? Uh-huh. But it's only like three minutes tops that you have to do right. that. And there's so many other bangers throughout his whole catalog. It's like if like Rolling Stones probably are barely going to play like whatever the new song is by the time they even got to steel wheels or whatever, you know, (laughs) bridges of Babylon or whatever. I think I'm messing up all the album titles, but you know, it's like, who cares (laughs) at that point? You know, if it's an excuse, like if, you know, if they have to put out a blues record just so you can hear the good ones, you know, then Mm -hmm. it's like, at that point, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if even like as an artist, it's like, you know, I, I, there's a lot of thought into this record, but you know, sometimes there is probably a little bit of like, I don't care. I just want to go on tour. You know, I just want to have, yeah. do something fun with these people because you know, that's yeah, all that just really like matters. Making something like while you're still excited about everything. I mean, that's something that I, again, like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> this is like the fun part of like, like, kind of guessing and making yeah, like a fantasy baseball record, you know? but yeah <laughs> but it's it's a um it's like I, I can imagine him writing these songs over the course of a couple weeks and just being excited yeah and that's something i like to think about frank black because he doesn't seem like like the most fun guy to be around and i like to think of, that he is a fun guy well i think know? yeah he just like, puts on this sort of yeah persona i think that I think you hit on something really important that I think it's almost like his, he has quick flashes of having fun and it's in these moments. <laughs> yeah. And then it's yeah. sort of like, he can go, I have fun. Look at kicked in the taco. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's sort of like this is potentially, and I know we're once again like making up something. That maybe it's like super awesome, you know. <laughs> you know, but it's yeah. like to not it to, like be. he's it made a be. lot of good fun stuff. Yeah. yeah, I've had a lot of fun because he's a dude that's been around making making music. Yeah, yeah, I, I but I think that's also great. Like if you wrote a book, I don't know. It's probably like Stephen King too. It's like, well, you know. <laughs> One book might be about a killer lamp, but you know, I'm going to write another one next year, you know? And so it's like, (laughs) it's like, just go the journey. This was fun to write, you know, and Mm -hmm. we'll see where it goes. Like, I think that's, that's neat. I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it really does suck sometimes whenever you like spend like three or four years on a record or however long it is. And then Mm. you fuss over every single thing. And it's like, the the immediacy even if there's things where you're like listening back and you're like oh i don't know if i'd do it that way now is still yeah. like so fun to hear like an american yeah. record an american records version of someone just putting maybe their first result down on paper is yeah. awesome to hear <laughs> it's totally awesome and it doesn't seem like he had any career aspirations at this point point. and then beyond this point it's like the catholic stuff like it it combined like a sort of like dark um like some of the lyrics mm-hmm. get darker like very soon after this record um and and it um but the music is still that rocking like classic indie rock meets maybe a little more rootsy Mm -hmm. rock and roll vibe um but also recorded live to tape you know like 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 what a like what a weird turn that he's like making this major label um record in a huge like like classic studio um with a uh with a you know like with his touring band yeah um and then then he decides like his next record he's like you know what that was a lot of fun why don't we just like double down and do it live with no overdubs and why don't we do that for like our next five records yeah yeah i mean and and release them ourselves like or, you know like on the smallest indie like you know we can find yeah there was one one of the catholics record was like i, I know it's not the name of the record or the label but it was like might as well have been on like screen, skin graft records or something like i was like uh-huh. i don't know what this is it must have just been like a imprint you know um so yeah. i was just like good for you you know yeah. like in in the point like if i was younger if, if i was like kind of look at a wiki wikipedia page i would have felt like oh this is like a down period you know but it's uh-huh. kind of all in how you approach it like you know in a way i'm like oh man this is the point where he truly got free of like i think major so. labels i think so just get back to like you know if you don't have so many people in your pocket it's like you can kind of like play to smaller crowds but you're keeping more of it so if you kind of own it more than you would have during your major label years it's almost just the same it's like when you see sebado on tour now you'll see they tour in a minivan but like the uh-huh. take-home money is probably like so much better you know so yeah. you know, kind of tying that yeah. back to frank black and the cadillacs it's like get in the van and we'll play this whatever I, I think like he's he's such a prolific and he always has been but like such a prolific writer and he was on like such a hot streak 
at this time, even if it was, even if it was a commercial disaster. And I think it was, um, I, I think that like, he was probably happy doing what he was doing because the songs kept coming. They kept touring um, and, and making for, for me, like what are some of the definitive albums of my life? And this was like in, in college, I was in my twenties when, when um, the Catholic stuff started coming out um, after this record, this was, I was in high school. I saw this tour at Tremont. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was front row center. Um, but uh but after this, like, it was like, like, you know, indie records and they had a lot of songs on them. They were pretty uniformly like, you know, uh, well, not uniformly great. It was like we were saying earlier, it was like half and half mixed bag. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. the songs that were great were so great and the sound was so great. And I'm still chasing that sound mm -hmm. like now with like my own music it's like that's you know i wish i was in frank black and the catholics yeah. in 1998 yeah i guess like well you kind of answered something that i was going to propose like so you kind of feel like you almost like had a full ride of it i know you were you know not really with pixies but you know so i guess when you got in it was kind of looking back at the pixies and kind of experiencing some of the frank black stuff as it came out um yeah, so, I I think the first time I heard them was like right around when Trump Lamond mm -hmm. was current. So they were still a band, but I never got to see them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the closest I got was they toured with U2, oh, but okay. tickets sold out before I could get them. Yeah. And if you had seen them, because U2, yeah, they definitely would have been big by then because that was around like 93 potentially. Oh, yeah. It was a stadium, Maybe a little before. Tour. Um, but yeah, so it would you would have potentially saw them at like six o'clock at night or something you know right, opening for yeah. you too you know still like light out you know in the summer i think it was the charlotte coliseum yeah. I think that was yeah so it wouldn't it have was. been the same as you if you had been able to experience them in the heyday um have you seen pixies since like with the reunions yeah I, I saw that i saw that actually i saw the first two tours that they did when they when they you know got back together the first one i was a little bit bummed because it felt kind of professional mm -hmm. to me you know it kind of felt like a career yeah band um the second time i saw him it was looser and and i had more fun that's probably baggage that i'm bringing yeah. it was the first one was probably fucking awesome and i just have a chip on my shoulder yeah and, you know and when you saw um, when you saw frank black uh at tremont in charlotte uh, was it like a well-attended show or do you remember I remember it being, I mean, cause shows back then typically were, yeah. you know, like if you went to, if you went to a show that was like a name band at Tremont, it was like, you know, it might be all people you've never seen before, but it was like pretty packed mm -hmm. and, or at least like when I was in high school, I didn't know anybody. Yeah. And this would have been like a big room show or the, uh, Casbah. Yeah. This was, this was main stage. Okay. This so... might've been like pre, pre Casbah. Okay. Okay. Like, yeah. May, maybe. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I saw smaller shows there, but they were kind of just like in the bar. They just like set up a couch and like uh, you know, I saw New Bomb Turks around the same time, and we were just sitting on a couch in the bar. There were like thirty people there. Uh, well, yeah, that that awesome. makes sense. Um, so then, like as it went into like Frank Black and the Cadillacs, I, I'm trying to like get a feel for what the timeline or maybe what the shows were like because I have no I have no feeling of like how it was received like that arc of his career. Like, uh, like, are you certain of 
so this this record Colter Ray was like a I, was it a failure or do you know yeah it well i mean it it charted okay <laughs> but, but i think everything that came out like you know like did i probably sold like what like a couple hundred thousand records right yeah that's like a hard I don't know. that's like a hard thing about it and it's such a, like a fucked up notion that i think we we look at it different now but it's like any of these things that were signed to uh, on major labels like if they were on a smaller label even matador at the time would be a huge success for matador like even like uh, i don't know like the band jawbox being on a major label and it's like Mm -hmm. you know the record company this this you could insert whatever band that you know it's like screaming trees or whatever we want to put in that spot there was always like oh they put out a record it was considered a failure they got dropped moved to a smaller label or whatnot just forever it's the story you know so it's like it is kind of a fucked up notion that like you know i feel bad even saying failure but it's like what the perceived thing would have been at that point you know so yeah and i i think that like you know like i mean definitely like critically when it came out it was just you know it it wasn't it wasn't touted as like a masterpiece or anything yeah um i mean i think in general he was like like in the shadow of the pixies his whole solo career Mm -hmm. He never, he never, um, like rose above, um, like the legendary status that his, um, his like first band. What's funny about that is like, I don't really have any way to corroborate this either, but it's like, seems like the kind of legend of the Pixies, you know, kind of grew. So it's like, by the time they broke up, like, I don't know, you know, they got on a U2 tour, but those opening spots are kind of a different thing altogether. Um, it's probably kind of a drag. Yeah, they're kind of. It's like people are finding their seats if their seats, and you know they're not really right. paying attention to you. They're going to you too. It's right. it's always like a hard thing where, like I remember a friend's band like got to play with like, off yeah the, the Circle mm. Jerk seat you know Keith Morris's band yeah so but then they I remember they came back from the tour and it was a few shows and they kind of complained about doing it and were like it kind of sucked and at the mm. time you know I was like fuck you <laughs> like it's like i would but <laughs> yeah. no i get it though like it's yeah it's a tough spot to be in having been in those situations opening bigger shows where it's like this is something that you kind of built to but then when the reality hits it's like at the end of the night we're still all crying into our taco bell you know yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know so it, it's such a strange thing but kind of going to the point of like the pixies thing is like by the time they broke up, it might they might not have been this that legend grows and you can never beat it, even though the reality was probably not to a point like Frank Black could have been doing better with like attendance wise or how he was being received, but it was uh, just always gonna kind of go up and up with the legend of like his previous band, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, he was still. I mean, you know, he was doing medium sized clubs like throughout the. Um the Catholics. And then even when he would do solo tours on his own, like I saw him at the visualite mm-hmm. and it was a well-attended show. Um, but like the Catholics back in like the, like early two thousands, they would pack like the 40 watt in mm-hmm. Georgia. Um, like that was, that was the kind of size club that they would play. And like, they would, you know, probably sell out more nights than, than not. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like, like for that band, but I mean, coming from a band with like the, like status of the, of the pixies and you're 
like you're kind of stuck there. Like that's, that's sort of like what you have. I don't know if that's a drag or if that was totally fun for him. I have no idea. It might be freeing in a way because you're almost like not, you know, not having, you know, you're playing music every night. Yeah. I mean, it's a living and probably not a bad one. Yeah. Like kind of when all of that, the critical assessment goes away, you still kind of like at that point, you're like, might as well be a truck driver, you know, that can, that can make a living, you know, but you know, um, but yeah, and I also think kind of going back to just your relationship with like Frank Black based on like where you grew up, like if that has Mm -hmm. any, like sometimes when I think about like the kind of binary things of like growing up in punk rock, like where it's like, Mm -hmm. like, was it even cool to like Frank Black (laughs) to punk? That's a, that's a solid question. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I mean, I know like for me and my like core group of friends, like the Pixies were like one of those bands that were like our first introduction to weird music Mm -hmm. and like, like a little bit heavier more rocking um and uh and music that was like like influenced by punk rock um i definitely had like a phase though where you know i i sold all my pixies tapes like several times over so i'd have money to like buy new like current punk rock records um and uh that i don't even remember anymore and the pixies albums are still like kind of a centerpiece of my collection so it's like uh they've they've outlasted like phases like musical preference phases of mine Mm -hmm. um even though like i don't know i mean i think you can definitely call the the pixies a punk rock band yeah um and uh i'd even go so far as to call frank black and the catholics like you know in that in that world Mm -hmm. um but um, I mean, definitely a lot of influence anyway. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I don't know that Frank Black was ever cool to, to be into. <laughs> no, yeah. it was not. Okay. <laughs> it was definitely not. Yeah. And I think like because I think about like coming from like I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, and it's uh, not rural like it's, you know, it's a city, but it also feels uh, a little disconnected. And so. Like it's, it always felt like kind of hard to kind of gauge like what was cool. And so you just kind of like got mm-hmm. into what you were into, you know? And so yeah. I would assume like uh, knowing you, I guess growing up, you grew up in Clover, South Carolina, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's sort of like in between, it's really like almost in between Charlotte and Columbia, two bigger cities. So, and I would have to go to both places to record shop. Like that was, yeah, yeah. Those, those really were like, I mean, I would, when I first like was in high school and was getting into music, it was like the mall in Gastonia, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) I was like 20 minutes away. Um, But when I needed like, like my real, like, you know, manifest, or there was a place called Milestone Records in Charlotte, that was like the indie record store um, in Plaza Midwood. Um, and so it was um i was always like making weekend trips like that was that was what i was doing yeah and was that that was owned by penny right milestone records well she owned the the club um but the um i don't know exactly who owned milestone records um i feel like i feel like they also had a um a mag like a zine though called um indie file mm-hmm. 
so they would write about um like the local music scene and and review records and stuff and then then they also had i think it was a husband and wife and they had had the record store yeah and it was it, it was like the kind of place like you'd walk in and they'd be playing pavement like because it was the new record oh, that cool. was out that week yeah. yeah and manifest used to be like that too like in any other did you have one in wilmington yeah we did have a manifest in wilmington. yeah like do you remember when it was cool yeah it was pretty yeah but some of it could be you know just the context of the time like a de- anything like that would have been cool to me but but yeah. i do i do remember like people well the guy that own, that owner ran i guess he managed it managed uh manifest and yeah he managed it and and wilmington ended up he owns gravity Records, so a lot of the Oh, okay. A lot yeah. of the, I don't know why I'm, just all the records and the CDs and everything just became Gravity. So it was just a smaller version yeah. of that anyway. So so he would recommend stuff when we went to Manifest. You know, like, oh, if you like this, you'll like this other, you know, yeah. metalcore record or whatever it was that I was yeah. into at the time. You know, so yeah, we definitely had that relationship with, you know, manifesting. Even when I would make trips to Charlotte or when I first moved to Charlotte, it still kind of felt like that, you know, like uh-huh. someone could recommend it, but I think it was yeah. the waning years of that. So your experience with it definitely would have been that point where it was a hip place to be, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. Like had like would take my CD up that I was paying for with like whatever, you know, little bit of like allowance I had. You yeah. Know? And, um, and they'd be like, um, you don't want that. Like, how about, try the jesus lizard you know yeah i'm like okay yeah you know here's my money you know and then it's like holy shit you just like changed my world you know and like so i miss that era of like music discovery and like you know like the going to a record store and having like a real you know kind of like somebody shepherding you (laughs) to make good decisions you know super it was super important there and even like when you grow up in a more rural town um I guess devoid of its own scene, you're just kind of mm-hmm. like looking for clues. You know, it's like yeah. your parents drive yeah. by and you see a guy with a mohawk and you're like, you know, what t-shirt is he wearing? Or it's like, yeah. you know, whatever clues, it really just was like tiny pieces of paper just littered throughout your life that hopefully would connect the dots. But then when you create, I think the picture is almost more interesting that way. Like, I guess I'm paying yeah. you a compliment. I think the person that you became because of that, is more interesting to me than like maybe somebody that grew up in a city that could have just done a straight line from like, you know, whatever was cool punk rock at that moment, you know, like, cause as I zoom out of myself, like because of that experience, similarly, it's, you end up having a more varied appreciation of music overall (laughs) is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think that, um, like when you have to like be on like the punk rock scavenger hunt, yeah. you know, um, and, and developing your own taste in a way that, um, you really are like more responsible mm-hmm. for, you know, like, like, I mean, like what you're spending your money on, even like when you like are a teenager and you don't have any, and it's like, um, I can go to like Camelot and like get a record but if I make a bad choice, I'm listening to fucking gumball this week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was the worst record I ever bought. And it was fucked up because he, um, 
like the dude like that was his band like he produced all of like my favorite records of like this like two year span yeah and i'm like i'm super tasty is gonna be the best re- i probably saw the ad in like ray gun magazine i was like this is gonna be the best record that i've like ever bought and it like it showed me nothing you know yeah but there's even times i felt like growing up where it's almost like you had to learn to like the record because you only had like eight dollars or whatever it was so it's like yeah i'm gonna listen to this till i like it you know it's like you know (laughs) to this day it's like i mean i think cheap trick are just undeniably a good band but it's like i bought like the best of it like win dixie because they had like five dollars you know and so yeah. Like if I didn't have that experience and there was no one telling me like not to buy Kiss Destroyer. So I just bought it, you know, because yeah. I thought they looked cool, <laughs> you know, but this was like, 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 so you kind of are on your own hunt and you're like, maybe this is somewhat related to this other thing I like. And it's mm-hmm. sort of not really, but you just pick it up and learn to love it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I was wondering yeah. with like Frank Black, if they if kind of like. It would, it would have been funny if this was your first album to listen to because it does feel like if this is someone's favorite record, it's uh, because they heard it first and you just, you know, you're going to be with it the rest of your life because it just gets in your head that way. Yeah. I yeah. bet there are kids that that was, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, and also just yeah. the usefulness of it and, you know, kind of like strips away some of the things that may have kind of been but but as a kid even like teenager of the year would have been enticing to me because it's like more bang for your buck like it's like i yeah. used to have this feeling where it's like oh there's 15 songs on this record then i'll get this because the other album has oh, yeah. 10 and i feel like i'm getting my money's worth you know and then well that's how you end yeah. up with blood sugar sex magic though yeah that is sometimes it will be <laughs> that uh, but sometimes you end up with like a spaz cd or something that has 30 songs uh, yeah. and so you're like eh. yeah <laughs> but yeah sometimes you do end up with blood sugar sex magic and then then you're like you know you're like i think i hate this but i know every song you know i i don't i still don't oh. know <laughs> I, 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 that was kind of, I mean, I, it's not one that like I ever want to probably listen to again, but I mean, I spent some serious time with that, mm-hmm. with that record too. Yeah. Um, I can't remember which one has, and I don't think it was actually their first record. There's like an early collection of Red Hot Chili Pepper stuff, like the early years. And it has, uh, like that Sly and the Family Stone cover on it and like, uh, Catholic schoolgirls rule. And I was like, mm-hmm. I think this is punk. You know, yeah, and so it's like, yeah, I like it. You know, it's like you didn't know, yeah. you didn't have and anyone you telling. Wrong. Yeah. Like that's that's the thing. Like like all those bands. I mean, no matter like what like the the like awful bloated superstars they become, like they're still like you know like they had to have some drive and love of music and like you know I think the young Red Hot Chili Peppers they were probably dicks, but like they were also like you know onto something. Yeah. I gotta like give them you know like like respect for that yeah um plus like um at least flea like seems like a like a super genuine dude yeah in the interviews i've heard with him he seems like pretty fucking cool. yeah i mean that that time frame though i think all these people really kind of thought of themselves as punks you know for you yeah. know it was like punks in quotation marks and it's like because if you look at like things like Minutemen, if you look at you know, uh, yeah. it's like, what, what, what did that even mean? It was like, you were, you were essentially just doing and kind of even going back to Frank Black, it's like, 
I think there are a lot of people of that generation that heard punk and then took that as I can just do whatever I want. And so yeah. that first generation yeah. of punk is like so disparate, you know, it's like, it could well, that's, be anything. That's what I love about the Minutemen so much is that like, they, they really do seem like, like wide eyed, like innocent, mm -hmm. like punk rock is, is exactly what I want it to be. And they made up their own kind of music. And it like, it pisses me off so bad when like friends of mine are like, you know, I never got into Minutemen. And it's like, why don't you just fucking listen to them? And you probably will. Yeah. Like they're undeniably one of the greatest bands ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, Minutemen and then like, you know, big boys and, you know, stuff like that. It's just like, mm -hmm. like it, the, the idea that basically punk seems like it arrived at, you know, either like 82 hardcore or like, even like I guess if we're looking at pop punk like Green Day and then that sort of became like a template one or the other. Mm -hmm. It's just so strange to me if you look at like SST's catalog or even like early Homestead records or Matador and all mm -hmm. the things. It's like they were just as punk, but there were their own responses and geographic responses to what they thought the sound could be. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's super exciting. Um like well what still like keeps me excited as a listener even when you know I, i'm i'm aged out of when i'm technically supposed to still care about music yeah <laughs> you yeah know? it's like I, I there's such like a world of stuff that you can like keep even going back to mm. like even if like you know like contemporary stuff like might not be you know like my my bag you know per se as often as i'd like it to be you know um there's still like a thousand records I haven't ever heard. Yeah. Um, so like that's that like keeps me going to the record store and trying you know new stuff. Maybe there's a Gumball record that you just haven't listened to that you might love. I don't even there's know how many. Be. I don't even know how many records there's Gumball got... has. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That dude like produced like some like like pretty epic shit though. Like that was that is the sound that like you know if I had a a few hundred thousand dollars to go into the studio I'd. I'd hire him right now to yeah, make my bandwagon ask. Yeah. I mean, if you, if history, let's zoom out like 30 years in the future and any of our bands are even mentioned as a, like a postscript like gumball can be, I'm chill mm -hmm. with that. Like I would even love that. You know? <laughs> like, it's like, if I can be a footnote on a, you know, it's like sometimes when you're reading like our band could be your life. And then they mention, if they mention another band or any of those type of books, um, then it's like, if I can just be like the kind of like the, you know, there's the postscript and then it kind of explains a little bit about like what my band was or there's a flyer and I'm very small, but I'll take that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I don't, I don't <laughs> want to shit too bad on, on gumball because, um, you know, like the, the only thing that pissed me off was that like, I've spent my hard earned money yeah, yeah, <laughs> from yeah, like definitely. mowing the lawn on this record and it was like it was so like memorably not my thing but um but you know i mean they were like a band at the time and i'm sure they were you know super fun and they had a bunch of songs and they made a record and yeah. you know at least one and... yeah just like yeah if you went just based on like font choice alone sometimes you were just holding it and you're just like this looks like it could be something like this other thing i like so I'm going yeah. to pick it up based on that. And then... Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's, you know, sprinkler sometimes or something, it works. you know? Yeah. 
you know uh yeah or whatever you know it's like not even to any detriment to any of these bands it's like it's just not what your appetite was asking for in that moment um well so that being said who would ever buy this record based on the album art i don't know because it's pretty bad (laughs) it's arguably the worst of all time it's also like from start to finish, like if the record really was perceived as kind of like, I'll do this almost like I'll do this in this weekend, you know, I don't think it was Uh that less of a thought, but it really does feel like it's like the art was done by the end of the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Because I read that it was like the art were UFOs and I'm like, but those are faces. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's, you know, like, you know, I'm like, I don't know. Well, and then it was like, oh, if you look at a picture of Ray Bradbury, like, those are just faces of Ray Bradbury. On uh, Like, that's what it is. Uh. So it's just a bunch of bad caricature drawings of Ray Bradbury. Yeah. Like, that's what the album art is. Like, it's, it's really bad. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And on the inside, I don't know if, like, you've seen the CD, but, like, on the, on the inside... It has a, a fold-out poster for your dorm room wall, <sighs> and then there's a picture of them, but they've been like green screened onto some kind of light beam. That looks like a it's... picture you would take. You know those things at like fairs when you were kids, where you could record your own music video. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it'd always be That's like exactly old time rock and roll. Like. like I wouldn't be surprised if that was like a still. <laughs> from something like that oh my god yeah um so bad. yeah i reached way back for that one that's like something that doesn't exist i might as well be like talking about like blacksmithing as a child or something uh, <laughs> but i guess like well like as we get to kind of you and well before we're done talking about the record like we kind of did touch on it but like the last stand being about so there's a just so it's noted um so the high school that frank black went to um and not when he went to it but years later i think in 95 the year before this record came out Mm -hmm. uh so there was a pakistani kid that was like beaten to death by other students at the school so the song is about that you know and kind of like i guess even his own connection with Mm -hmm. having gone to that school you know so yeah yeah yeah, and that that gives like this weird personal connection that is largely missing in most of, uh, as far as I can yeah, tell. Yeah. I mean, again, like you know, who knows? Like a lot, his lyrics might all be totally personal, <laughs> but but this one, like, yeah, the fact that like he actually like I read that he went to that school, and um and it was I mean regardless like he lives in L.A. and like that's like an L.A. school, and um and like this kid was like like beaten to death in front of his like classmates wow i didn't Um, even know that part of it but you know that's yeah it was like at school and it was like a current event this is like a topical song um about somewhere with a personal connection and it's beautiful it's like it's you know like one of like the most like like moments of beauty on the record um like real like like sort of i mean it doesn't like like really like go into like the emotional like the emotional um like heart of the matter Mm -hmm. It just, you know, kind of talks about it, but the music's so pretty, the melody's so great, and um, and it's just, it's sort of like if this dude was was in a movie, like he kind of like makes this like, 
you know, the last stand of Shazeb on leave. Like he makes a, like a, a hero like story, you know, from like total tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the, in like kind of a great way. Yeah. A lot of his lyrics overall are almost like what your internal monologue might be like the kind of fragments mm -hmm. of your thoughts just swirling around. And so it's like, you can piece together a picture, but it's like your brain never gave you the picture. You know, it's like yeah. it's a lot of his lyrics. So it's like there's something there, but it's just, you know, a lot of questions. It's like, uh -huh. you know, and so so even when it's like about UFOs, it's like little fragments of things that eventually, you know, stipple into a full picture if you kind of piece it together like a puzzle. So, yeah, so it's, yeah, even that song specifically, as earnest as it is, it's, that's about. I think that's about as earnest as you seem to get from him so. in some way. Like, yeah, you know that's not just when he dips into things like "You Ain't Me" or more so "I Don't Want to Hurt You." you know? Well, yeah, we haven't even talked yeah, about that. That's, that's another that's, great one. Yeah, that's the ballad. That's like the power ballad. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and another like you know like like you know I mean I I'd, I'd say that's got to be like one of the three most memorable songs mm -hmm. on the record. Um, and, and it's a, it's a beautiful ballad, but it's like, you almost, the first time I heard it, it's like, is this the same? I mean, did this, did he write this song? Because it's like a love song. Yeah. Sort of. And, uh, and it's not, it doesn't get weird until the bridge part about it. It's like his heart beating like in a cavity or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that part is so cool, like musically and lyrically, like just like sticks in your head, like so different um from the rest of the song and then the rest of the song is so like um i was talking to a friend about it the other day and he was like i thought that was like a standard like i thought like you know somebody else must have written this one this is a cover um but uh but nope frank black original and and probably like the most earnest like i'm gonna write a song that sounds like a song yeah yeah but he still has to like frank blackify it at some point like you said in the bridge it's like you know, I'm, yeah, I'm going to give this, it's almost like going, reaching for a word that doesn't seem like it fits in either your vernacular or it does, it's just kind of like a little outside of your comfort zone. Like he's, mm -hmm. he's always willing to kind of reach for that phrase. That's kind of like, you know, explaining something as a cavity, you know, and, you know, like once again, that kind of internal monologue, it's like, this is how you're feeling, but that shouldn't be how you articulate it to another human being, you know, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. 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 Reaching, reaching for those, for that way of, of saying, you know, what can't be said. Yeah. And do you feel like that kind of way of songwriting has influenced you as a songwriter, let's say with your current band, you know, Amigo, like, do you feel like it, goes into that or have you do you approach songwriting in any way that connects to this i i mean there are things about the way because i've listened to him like so much of my life and so much of this stuff it's just sort of like um like such a part of my life um that i think like what i kind of have a tendency to take from him is like the um like finding a little moment of weirdness mm -hmm. within something that's like kind of more relatable. Yeah. Um, so like, I'd say like usually like my approach to writing lyrics would be more of like a typical like folk song, like kind of not in like, I'm like trying to be like a folk singer, like any, you know, bullshit, but like, 
Um, but like, that's just the tradition that like, I'm sort of like writing. Yeah. Like a songwriting tradition, I guess like singer songwriter. Yeah. Yeah. I I like approaching songs the same way. I, but I mean, I'm, I'm mentioning it because I do, I do feel like you reach for it and I don't think it's like directly Frank Black, but I guess it could be, you know, I think there are times where I I feel like you reach for things. There's a possibility. That's what that influence is. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like a little bit like of a discomfort like not so much like sharing of yourself like not trying to like purposely like obscure stuff but like just like being a little bit um af- afraid to just leave something be mm-hmm. um like like uh, like a song's not really finished until you put that little like you know like little extra um something you have to dig a little deeper for yeah yeah, kind of. Yeah, going going out on the limb. A like I wanted bit. to hurt yeah. a little bit, even if it's fun, even if it's something funny. I still have to like kind of like cut myself to get to that, you know, where that 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 moment of hilarity bleeds. You know? Yeah, and that little bit I feel like can kind of like make a song work, and also mm. kind of personalize it to a point. Like even if it's like a general chorus, if you kind of just put that little bit on it, that little cherry on top you know, kind of mm-hmm. makes everything kind of fall in place that, you know, hopefully makes for like a memorable song, which I think you've done. It also makes time. it fun to go back to because you're yeah. like, that's me. Yeah. You know, like I remember that me, like the rest of it just sort of like came out and it was like from the muse or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but like that little bit that like had to hurt a little bit, like that's like, now it's fun. Now it's like, you know, something I can share and like be proud of. Yeah. It's, and like another way of kind of explaining the same thing, it's like, I want to, this song is for everyone to experience, but I, I want to take this a little bit back for myself. Yeah. yeah it's it's like, the singer, not the song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess like, as we kind of wrap up, like what are your next steps in terms of uh, music now that, well, hopefully we're coming out of the pandemic. God, I hope so. I think like, like if anything, like that the pandemics taught me is that like, um, I, I, I miss like that, like live experience. And I, I want to, um, I want to be making music like in front of people mm-hmm. again. Um, but I want to do it like on like our own terms and not just take like every little, I don't want to play at a fucking brewery ever again. Yeah. You know, I want to play at snug Harbor. <laughs> I want to yeah. play at the milestone and I want to like, I want to play, um, like, uh, I want to have fun playing music and, um, and I want to do it in front of people. So, um, I, I think like, like our, to answer your question, <laughs> I think like our next step is we, we got a, some new music that, that we've been working on and, um, we need to go and record it. And, uh, so we have like a little bit of like a vague plan for, for yeah. doing that and, uh, getting some new songs like down and, um, and not really so much playing like the old stuff as much mm-hmm. looking forward. Um, I'm looking forward to looking forward and um, and then we've also got a little little something in in the works that we we recorded a um, a, a episode of a of a TV show we were a band we were playing a real band yeah <laughs> and and, um, and so that that should hopefully be coming out this fall yeah yeah I mean I'm looking forward to it I, you know I don't want to reveal what it is because I think it is like a neat surprise and probably one that 
it's almost like you'd have to know you to put it together so it's like if anyone puts it together yeah. it's you know it's really fun I, I know people will like see about it but um i'm really excited for you all to like have that experience it's just it's so like out of left field that it came together that way <laughs> but i, I love that <laughs> yeah for thanks you. like i think that's great that's yeah, almost like you. the best you can hope for at this point in our lives you <laughs> Like, it's like, that's, I think like coming out of like a pandemic where we were stuck at home yeah. for like a year, like it, it, it made like, like a surprise like that was just like, you know, it, it was like, um, like real special and, and fun. But I guess like it, with the whole pandemic, one of the, and I guess I'm putting words in your mouth, but I would assume it's like you had a kid like essentially right before it happened or yeah and so it's yeah. like that time you've been given during probably wasn't the worst thing to have in your life you know it was the best timing yeah. if you've got to be like on lockdown from a global pandemic it was like to be able to see my daughter like take her first steps like literally watch her take her first steps as she took them and um and to hear her say like her first words and stuff and i'm at home i'm not don't have to go to work i'm just like hanging out with my family yeah. um that was that was like really solid timing for for that yeah <laughs> you know, the rest of the bullshit like notwithstanding it was it was something else but i, I do feel lucky for that yeah um was there anything else you wanted to mention about this record that i did not bring up I just think that it is a, um, it's kind of a lost record. I, I think, I don't, I don't think I'm like way off saying that. Like, I, I think like it, it's worthy of, um, of, of people's times. I, I would solidly recommend the cult of Ray. Um, and then if like, you know, like if, if we're right and it's like worth, you know, like a deeper listen, then I would, direct you straight to the um catholics records like in order from self-titled through show me your tears um they are all like like pretty pretty remarkable um records yeah but this is sort of like the first one in that series yeah and i mean ultimately i don't disagree with you i think everything that makes it uneven is the good part of it you know <laughs> I think that's neat. And it makes you appreciate the the good like even that much more. But yeah, it's it's a um it is a listen. It's like it it's a it's a real record. Yeah, it doesn't feel like there are uh, maybe we're maybe we're at the cusp of the beginning of it. Yeah, when I was doing a tiny bit of research on it, there don't seem to be like think pieces that are like, well maybe you know, so so like if this is like a seed <laughs> that's planted then uh you know, we are true pioneers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. But yeah, but I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. You know, it's good catching yeah, up. Yeah, thank with you. you. Yeah. Yeah, this was great. It's been too long, so I hope to to see you like in the wild. Yeah. Real soon. Yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you. Cool, man. Thank you. Welcome back. Thanks again to Slade for coming on the pod a lot of fun digging into a record I honestly had no clue existed before you mentioned it. So thanks, Slade. Okay, next week I'm talking with Phil Ward, a.k.a. Lord Ward. He also was a member of Low Fidelity All-Stars, a British drum and bass 
trip-hop group from the 90s and early 2000s. Their music was featured in so many movies and TV shows around that time. More on that next week. We talked about the 1984 hip-hop comp Street Sounds Electro 4. So Street Sounds Electro 4. You can find the full comp on YouTube just by searching that title. I loved it and highly recommend checking it out for the episode. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Check us out on Patreon and leave us a review wherever you do that. See you next week. I've been in it.